Blog Talk Radio. Yo, this is your boy, G-Ski Rocks. And this is going out to the lovely, lovely women of the world. I know sometimes you have to make a hard decision. But I want you to think about this. What? 
Life Fridays Radio here on the Visible Conservative Radio Network. And I'm your host, Thomas Dwayne Smith, with my awesome other host, Letitia Wong. Who sometimes can't remember her name, but that's all right. And we have a third host who is caught up in the doldrums of work. Having said all that, getting right to our scripture and prayer. And I'm going to reverse the order today. Dear Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, thank you for this special interactive show between hosts today. It might get a little fun, Lord God, but even you have a sense of humor. So we pray that the information that Letitia is going to put out will be informative, not too serious, but it hits the point where people will get the information that they need to make the decisions that they need to make when it comes to building a relationship with you, Lord God. Father, thank you for giving her the opportunity to travel and be a part of her conference of which she was one of the founding members, Lord God. I pray that you bless and anoint and use her and her family to the to be the blessing that she has been to me and many, many others who are listeners of Pro Life Fridays Radio. Lord, we give you glory, honor, and praise in the mighty name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. I record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life so that you and your seed might live. Now, That's kind of interesting right there. And that's a good segue into my five to ten minute monologue because I'm going to read a story and then I'm going to break it down. You have a crisis series of crisis pregnancy centers, a part of the same network in New York City. Yeah. That saved 42,000 women. from doing something that would drastically alter their lives. But who knew, folks, that saving the life of a baby was an act of terrorism? I I don't even know where to begin to, to describe how I, how I'm grasping this or what I have to say. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that, well, track, before you... that track That car is r- running At 180 miles an hour Where do I begin Well Don't begin anywhere Yet because let's read the article Let's be Interactive FBI Terrorism Task Force Wants to question National Crisis Pregnancy Center Director Who we hope to have 
as a guest at a future date. New York, May 29, 2013. The FBI office charged with investigating terrorism has said it intends to question the national director of a chain of crisis pregnancy centers. The development is that is the latest in what pro-life activists have charged is a pattern of intimidation on the part of the Obama administration against pro-life activists. Yes, folks. Did you just say Obama? Obama? You said Obama? Yeah, I said Obama. I didn't say your mama, I said your mama. <laughs> Agents of the Joint Domestic Terrorism Task Force told Chris Flattery, National Director of Expectant Mother Care EMC Frontline Pregnancy Centers, only that they wanted to meet him for a mutually beneficial relationship. In other words, if I don't meet with them, it will not be beneficial for me, Flattery told LifeSightNews.com. I am not sure what I'm going to get out of it, he joked. The questioning comes as New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman, that's German, by the way. I wonder if he's a direct descendant of Hitler. Must be. Has subpoenaed the group for not for not abiding by the standards of a consent agreement Flattery believed expired more than 20 years ago, as well as in relation to a question of some of its paperwork, be related story. Currently, EMC is poised to expand crisis pregnancy centers into 10 states, including Washington, D.C. Federal agents pressed to meet Flattery last Friday, but rescheduled when he insisted that one of his attorneys be present. Jay Sekulow of the American Center for Law and Justice, he's the cream of the crop when it comes to conservative lawyers, by the way, has agreed to act as his local counsel. The meeting will probably be held next week, Flattery said. I thank God for the FBI, Flattery said. Nothing. Nothing noting their good work fighting crime and legitimate terrorism, but if the president orders them to let's see where am I to do something, they have to do it. I do know they have been used by attorney generals in the past for surveillance of domestic troublemakers and communists, and now we are the communists of the modern day, the domestic terror people of interest. He said. The rate of federal questions and allegations of surveillance of pro-life activities have led many leaders to conclude the Obama administration is gathering intelligence on the pro-life movement. FBI agents question any more the founder of AbortionWiki.org and the incoming director of online communications at Americans United for Life last July after Southwest Women's Surgery Center, a Dallas abortion facility, complained that Moore used a bullhorn during a peaceful protest. Moore said they raised the possibility the Obama administration might deport the pro-life activist back to his native New Zealand if he did not name the names of other pro-life activists. They also reportedly asked... Go ahead. Go ahead. I was say, that is a blatant quid pro quo. 
Yep. They also reported, reportedly asked, what affiliations do you have, including church groups and other pro-life groups? Moore's mother-in-law, pro-life leader Gil Stenick, wrote that the agents asked inappropriate questions clearly aimed at intimidating Andy, while also launching into a fishing expedition about me. Some mm-hmm. say attorney Eric Holder has a vested interest in prosecuting the pro-life movement since his wife and sister-in-law rented facilities to Tyrone Sisu Malloy, a Georgia abortionist accused of malpractice, Medicaid fraud, and causing a patient's death. There you go, another typical Negro abortion doctor. I'll leave it at that. The Justice Department has intensified the number of cases it is prosecution, prosecuting under the Freedom of Access to Clin- Clinic Entrances Act, FACE Act, something Obama's labor nominee Thomas Perez boasted about last September. Civil libertarians certain that at least one federal judge wonder if it's not a part of a deliberate strategy to silence sidewalk counselors. EMC maintains a perpetual vigil at an abortion facility in South Bronx, Flattery said. Last year, the the Justice Department had to pay $120,000 in attorney fees after wrongly accusing Mary Susan Pine of trespassing at a West Palm Beach abortion facility as facility in his scathing ruling u.s district judge kenneth raskamp wrote that he can only wonder whether this action was the product of a concerted effort between the government and the facility which began well before the date of the incident at issue to quell miss pine's activities the obama administration is essentially engaging in a witch hunt um, wrote Allison Aranda, senior staff counsel at Life Legal Defense Foundation. From the moment the new administration took office, the DOJ has been targeting peaceful pro-life, um, targeting pe- peaceful pro-life sidewalk counselors. However, the opposition to the pro-life movement. Huh? I said we're just hearing about this now. Yeah, exactly. However, the opposition to the pro-life movement has been anything but localized in one agency of the Obama administration, a series of Department of Homeland Security. I've read enough, and here's my commentary. I'm going to say this, and I I hope you are monitoring this show. Because, quite frankly, if that's what you got to do to the Obama administration, to the um, to the Department of Homeland Security, to the FBI, CIA, NSA, uh, IRS, I'm going to tell you something point blank. To do stuff like that because somebody is standing up and protecting the life of innocent children, you know what that makes all you all, even you, Mr. President? It makes you a lily-livered coward. That's what I've you are. More, I've, you got, are a you know, I've got more specific names. It's called McCarthyism and Richard Nixonism, if I may. Well, because yeah, you know what? 
That's the that 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 place 
That's why I believe it's Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through 10, talks about the weapons of our warfare not being carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down the strongholds. Until we, until we address the issue of abortion for what it really is, that stronghold will never come down despite our best efforts. And what is what it is? Abortion is evil. It's rooted in evil. It's rooted in death. It 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 was rooted out of a systematic desire by a political party to eradicate and destroy an entire group of people, the Negro race, because that said political party could no longer keep that Negro race enslaved. But you know what? As many have said, abortion is the new is the new lynching of today. Abortion, the the Democratic Party doesn't need the Ku Klux Klan any longer. Because we're willingly walking into the, it's what, it would be like Jews willingly walking into the furnaces at Auschwitz. Yeah, the abortion clinic. So Hold on. The abortion mills, folks, and I'm getting ready to go there, and I don't give a fat rat's black rear end who gets insulted. Because the abortion mills are the modern day equivalent of concentration camps. They are the modern day equivalent of the gas chambers and the gas furnaces. The only difference, the gas chambers and the gas um, gas um, furnaces are the wounds of the mothers who 60 68 to 80% of are forced into abortions by undue pressure from supposedly family members and boyfriends who have their own, their best interest in heart when the only interest that they had was their own selfish, self-serving, idiotic, too irresponsible to take care of the baby that that man helped produce. Hey, bro, you big enough to walk around and think you're steadily the biggest stud in the world. You get off your ass and get a, and take care of your baby. Because the day you walk into an abortion and force your girl, your girl, as in the case of the guy, and in the case of the guy who, uh, one guy, I believe, in Georgia, Gave his girlfriend some poison or something and killed her. And this other, this other cat suffocated this beautiful 14-year-old black girl because he thought she was pregnant and she wouldn't have an abortion. Of course she wouldn't have an abortion because she wasn't pregnant. My, my, my. That's my commentary because I'm... I'm I'm so angry right now. I actually twisted my neck. So, oh, Leticia, well, yeah. take it away. <laughs> well, take it easy. 
Um, there's plenty to say, and, and yeah, there's a plenty of things that we could get excited over. Um, but the thing is, I think what you brought out in in the effort, what you just said, is a great touches on a really something that doesn't get talked about, and it is the anger that people have toward women who are pregnant. You know, the fact that, I mean, where do I even start? First of all, for the family members of a pregnant girl or a pregnant woman uh, who don't want her to have a baby, first of all, it's not their baby. But somehow a woman's right to choose has now, because legal abortion is with us, because it is legal, a woman's right to choose is not just that woman's right to choose. On a practical level, it's everybody's business. Because she comes under so much pressure from her mother, her aunt, her sister, her friends, her her boyfriend, her husband, you name it. People who don't want to have a baby around them. Because they're too busy thinking about how a baby would impact their lives. I'm sorry, I thought the argument for abortion was it's just a woman and her doctor, and it's nobody else's business except for them. But in reality, that's not how it's happened. Legal abortion has been used to force women who otherwise would have had their babies to commit abortion on account of somebody else's convenience because it is legal because abortion is legal nobody can do anything about that right now how is that for enabling legal abortion enabling the use and abuse of women over and over again because it happens right. to the same women over again, and it happens to new women all the time. Leticia, I cannot... Wasn't it, Leticia, hold on, a question for you. Because I had a question for you. Wasn't it Carol Everett that said in Blood Money that it's the goal of an abortionist to get between three to five abortions from every teenage girl? That's right. Um, from her from her perspective, between the ages of 13 and 18 or 19, before she leaves for college. But, you know, it doesn't end there. It doesn't end at 19, because most college-age women, um, I'm sorry, let me say this correctly, most abortions are are procured by college-age women. Right. Right, exactly. How how does an an abortion clinic make sure it profits from abortions? They have to have more abortions. Exactly. How do you get more abortions? You get more girls become pregnant. Exactly. And how do you get them to become pregnant? You give them low dose. Um, you give them low dose birth control pills, knowing that they won't take their pills at the same time every day. 
right? And, and, you know, I know there's plenty of people out there that say, oh, there's, you know, birth control is birth control, and, and it's supposed to work. Well, you know what? I was on birth control pills for a time after my first child was born. Um, and my doctor specifically put me on the kind that wouldn't, wouldn't uh, interfere with my ability to breastfeed and to nurse my daughter. So it was a low-dose birth control pill I had to take at the same time every day. As a grown-up, I couldn't keep the schedule because there are days you just sleep through. When you're supposed to, you know, take it at 7 o'clock in the morning every day with your breakfast, well, some days I didn't wake up at 7 o'clock in the morning, baby or no baby, because I was up from 2 to 6 with the baby. And so that birth control pill was not being taken. And after a while, I said, the heck with it. We are searching for other, more natural means of 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 making sure that uh, you know we take care of our myself, that I take care of myself without the use of hormonal contraception. There are other well, ways, but that low dose birth control fools girls all the time into think having a false sense of security about their ability to become pregnant. Right. They miss miss a couple of days here and there. It doesn't work right. And they'll become pregnant. Why do they become pregnant so fast? Because there is a boy out there or a man or a rapist or a child molester that is actively pressuring that girl and that girl will become pregnant sooner or later. It is just a roll of the dice. Yeah. It is the odd. It's the same thing with using condoms and having a false sense of security about how effective condoms are. Yes, condoms are pretty effective when you're not fertile. <laughs> when a woman is not fertile. Now, you're, it is a roll of the dice. It's a crapshoot because no woman can be absolutely 100% certain those three days out of the month that she is most likely to conceive a child. Right. You can you can read the tea leaves, you can read your hormonal cycle. A woman can look, you know, how her body changes over the month and you can say, Well yeah, I, I think I'm pretty you know, this is the time or that is the time. Yeah, you could you could probably predict that and, and have a fair amount of certainty, but are you a hundred percent sure? Never. Unless you have a microscope attached to your ovary and you got it attached to the right one, you do not know when your body decides to release an egg. Right. So it's a guessing game. And given the fact that, that condoms have a failure rate, the more times you use condoms, Every time you use a condom, you are you are bumping up against that failure rate. It's there for a reason because it doesn't work 100% of the time. So why, 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 why? Is the Pro-Life Friday's radio show saying no contraception? You know, contraception is evil. Are you an arm of the Catholic Church now? No, I'm not saying that. No, I don't think anybody on this show has ever said that contraception is bad. All I'm saying is that hormonal contraception 
condoms, or any kind of external contraception of that nature will give women a false sense of security. Don't be naive. There are more people conceived when, uh, while their mothers are on contraception than you think. And that is why abortion clinics count on women getting pregnant because that's how they make their money because women get pregnant and then they rush in to say, we are going to solve your quote-unquote problem. It's an abortion. Come on in. And it will be $1,000. Right. Um, let me check our studio soundboard. And we're still waiting on Melissa. I really wanted her to get her opinion on this. Uh, but we are going to start our presentation today. Um, Thomas, did you have, first of all, did you have anything you'd like to add to that? Well, you, you hit the nail on the head. And, and what I'm going to do, I'm just going to listen because, I have not been asleep at all in about 19 hours. <laughs> oh, so you're going to decide to sleep in my presentation. Thank you. No, I'm a, no, I'm a listen. I'm not going to sleep. I'm a listen. <laughs> uh, don't, ladies and gentlemen, don't I have the best co-host in the world offering to take a nap? No, or right. now you are you saying I'm calling you boring now? <laughs> oh, I'll show you boring. Oh boy. So let's take a break for a moment. Um if you'd like to call in, the number to call in to the show is seven six zero five four two three nine zero seven to join Pro Life Fridays radio. We'd love to have your questions. We're gonna start our special education portion of the show in just a couple of minutes. Hang in there. Do you feel like you wake up every day to watch your life slide right by? Is it slipping away? Does the question call to your mind? Are you just doing time? Could there be a better way? I say yes, you say maybe, but you've got to know. Do you want to know love tonight? Is it Well 
God has for you. Only one love is real. It is done, it was revealed. Only one love will stay, even when you walk away. Only one love will stand. Can you give this love a listening to Pro-Life Fridays Radio. We are back on the air. The number to call in is 760-542-3907. Thank you for joining me, Letitia Wong, and Thomas Smith on this edition of Pro-Life Fridays Radio. And what we have going on today is um, kind of special. I thought I'd take the opportunity today to talk about a conference that I'm going to next week. So I will be at a the, that, the Smart Safe Conference in Phoenix, Arizona next weekend. And the presentation that I will be speaking at and doing is on the pro-life ethic. And like we say a lot on this show, pro-life is not just about abortion, although we talk about abortion a lot. Why? Because abortion is legal in this country. It is our predominant ethical issue, our our prominent ethical violation in this country that is being promoted and funded by our federal government. And yes, for those of you who are not in the know, your federal tax dollars are going to pay for uh, abortion. Dollars-wise, they are going to pay for abortion in other countries. And soon, they will be going, dollars-wise, to be paying for abortion through Obamacare. So don't deny it any longer. This administration's aims, this administration aims for public funding of abortion. That Hyde Amendment that is getting in the way of those things may be retired, depending on how politics politics works out um, on Capitol Hill. But I digress. I wanted to present to our audience the fundamental reasons for why the Pro-Life Fridays radio show is so encompassing. So this is not just a show about abortion, like I said, but what is it about? And the title of my presentation that I was going to, that I titled it, and I will, t- I always tell people after that the presentation is over why I named it the way I did. Um, and so I'm going to, I'm going to wait. I'm going to make you wait. 
is called the measure of a man. And for those of you who are not familiar with too much sci-fi on television, don't worry. I'll explain it. But those of you that are, are familiar with sci-fi on television, especially the classic stuff, uh, you're probably going to get this fairly quickly. And I hope you do. So I want to talk about a list of things that I consider under the pro-life banner that we talk about on the show that I consider a pro-life issue. And abortion is one of them. So I'm just going to lead with that. We're going to say abortion, yes, is a pro-life issue. So, So is human trafficking, sex trafficking, euthanasia. Didn't think about that one, did you? Yeah. Honor killing, definitely. Slavery, definitely. And some of the things that aren't as well thought about. Eugenics, population control, gamete donation, and I mean sperm donation, egg donation, in vitro fertilization, cloning, embryonic stem cell research, birth control, oh yeah, birth control, and that includes contraceptive methods of birth control, surrogacy. And finally, but not, but just as just as important as the others, religious persecution. You say, oh, how is religious persecution a pro-life issue? Well, let me get to that. All these issues: religious persecution, surrogacy, IVF, gamete donation, abortion, sex trafficking, sex slavery. All of these things operate with a universal mindset and a universal way of looking at the world, which has a disregard for the intrinsic moral worth of the individual. Human beings can be viewed under this universal banner only in terms of external properties, the stuff on your outside, your circumstances. And we hear a lot about it in, in the political, politically correct media. You're only worth your class, your race, your gender, or ultimately your usefulness to fulfill a material end, most often somebody else's material end. With this comes a total loss of dignity and an absence of humane treatment. The human body, your human body, somebody's human body, or your body parts, can be used and commodified, which means it's a product to be sold, it's a product to be traded, it's a product to be bought. And this is regardless of, um, uh, there's a reason for all of these things that fall under certain circumstances, and those those circumstances let me talk about, but those are also circumstances I think uh, are irrelevant. So let me give you the pro-life ethic that counters this commodified view of the human person and of the human body. The ethic is 
number one, that all human beings are persons and have intrinsic value, which means intrinsic meaning you have that value no matter what you look like, how old you are, or anything else. You have intrinsic value in and of yourself because you exist, because you're human, for no other reason than you exist. So, all human beings are persons and have intrinsic value regardless of the following. Your size, regardless of your size, regardless of your level of development in life, regardless of your environment that you live in or happen to be in, and regardless of your degree of dependency on others or technology or anything else. Size, level of development, environment, or degree of dependency. If you spell the first letter out of each of those, uh, each of those terms, it spells fled. And I want you to remember those four conditions that are, that do not mean spell out the worth of anybody because you're going to see them in every instance, one of these things, S-L-E or D, is being used to gauge the worth of somebody. Let me talk about the size of a person. Size is irrelevant because you can be a baby in the womb, you can be a baby out of the womb, you can be an 83-year-old baby. It doesn't matter how old you are. Your age does not determine your value. Your level of development, L. You can have very poor vision. You can have great vision. You can have an undeveloped brain with a low IQ. You could be Albert Einstein. Your your functional intelligence has nothing to do with your value in life. E, your environment, where you find yourself, here, there, anywhere, has no, has no impact on your value. You could be living in a Petri dish or you could be living in a senior center. The very young and the very old tend to be the ones that are dehumanized the most. But it doesn't matter where you live or how old you are, you are still a human being and you have intrinsic worth. Your degree of dependency, D, does not matter to your intrinsic value. On my presentation, I have a slide of a little girl with Down syndrome. And I just met the cutest little girl with Down syndrome, about 18, about 18 months old. Um, and she's a little thing. And you can totally tell she has Down syndrome because her facial features tell you she has Down syndrome. But this little girl is not worth less than a little girl that doesn't have Down syndrome. In fact, most children with Down syndrome, as parents will tell you, uh, seem to be just the happiest, most content, easy children uh, they have compared to other kids who are smart enough to kick up a fuss <laughs> when they want to. So a child with a disease, a child with a disease is not worth less than a child who does not have a disease. 
And then the other picture I have on that frame is a World War II picture. We have that picture on our Facebook page. It's on our cover. It's our it's our cover photo of World War II uh, victims who are children. They are all seated, and they're naked, and they're emaciated. At some point in time, somebody found those children not worth enough human value to take care of them. But is there anything intrinsically wrong with those children? No. Children of any size, shape, age, or degree of dependency are all worth what we're all worth. So the ethics I want to I want to keep going and say the number two thing is that human life begins at the moment of genetic completion or wholeness, regardless of the method or mode of conception. So whether you are born all natural or you're born uh, later on after a union in a, of a sperm and egg in a Petri dish, how you got here is not important to what you're worth. Three, the intentional harm or killing of any any innocent human being is morally impermissible. We don't allow murder in this country. We just allow things that we don't consider murder, like abortion. But abortion is intentional harm and killing of a totally innocent human being. Good Number point. four, yeah, the use and commoditization of the human person and or the human body is a violation of that person. And it's also morally right. impermissible. People will r- jump up and down talking about how they want to prevent rape or they want to punish rapists or abortion needs to be available for women who are subject to rape because rape is so awful. First of all, I don't understand how abortion um, helps a woman become unraped or makes the rape right. go away. <laughs> but if it's so, if it's that important to protect women who are being raped, then you, then people who understand how bad rape is can understand that killing a person is is even worse. So we have finally, yeah. So finally, we have the situations that I'm going to talk about. Individual situations where it is. It's a pro-life issue. I'm talking about slavery, and that's fairly obvious. We've been there in this country. Slavery, human trafficking, sex trafficking. Those three things are so closely related and so obvious. I'm not going to get into it. But the abolitionists of the pre-Civil War times staked their reputations and everything they had on bringing the humanity of the African slave to the American public. We have classic abolitionist posters of a slave, you know, a drawing of the slave, and on the bottom it says, am I not a man and a brother? we could put anybody's face under in the in those posters today and it would make exactly the same sense slavery human trafficking sex trafficking these are all slavery of a, of 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 a different kind 
euthanasia. It's often called mercy killing. But what happens when you euthanize six million Jews? What happens when you euthanize 200,000 children with disabilities, mental disabilities, physical disabilities, in the Action T4 program in Nazi Germany? What do you call it then? We call it population control and eugenics, which is also a pro-life issue. In fact, we have a more simpler word for it. It's called murder. Unless you think that euthanasia is somewhere, you know, far off into the future, I know that people here in the Midwest where I live tend to be kind of inoculated against it because we think that it will never happen here. you got to live in, like, a really far region of a place like the Netherlands or Sweden and also Portland. And those northwest states that are that are legalizing euthanasia, they always say euthanasia is for the benefit of those who are in terminal illness. But if you look at actually what they're saying after it becomes legal, euthanasia should also be used to end your life if you don't want to live anymore. It's not for illness. It's for suffering. It's for depression. And pretty soon, how can this be misused just like abortion? It becomes somebody else's business. Oh, yes. Somebody who wants to have Grandpa kick the bucket a little sooner because it gets hard for them to take care of Grandpa when he's uh, needs to be monitored 24-7. So it's just easier to say, even though Grandpa's not dying, that Grandpa's suffering so much, maybe he ought to be euthanized. I'm sorry, the last time we talked about that, I mean, it just sounds like we're treating Grandpa like a dog. That's gotten too old. But that is the very heart of why this is a pro-life issue. That these techniques used to end the lives of people are used to end the lives of people for other reasons than what they're stated and what the reasons that are stated become lies. And they're not justified to begin with anyway. I mean, that I would think that our audience knows that that's a given. Let me play an audio clip for you by our the population control and eugenics um the father of population control and eugenics in i want to say in the um the post industrialized world and this is his name is George Bernard Shaw and he said we should find ourselves committed we as in we in society committed to killing a great many people whom we now leave living. A part of eugenic politics would finally land us in an extensive use of the lethal chamber. A great many people would have to be put out of existence simply because it wastes other people's time to look after them. 
And that's not the worst thing he said. I want to play uh, a clip for you. And it is terribly muddled on YouTube. And it's just going to get further muddled if I play it over the air here. So I, I wanted to read this treat instead. But the clip is available on YouTube to watch. And it is George Bernard Shaw making a case for dust panels. I bet you haven't heard that before, have you? Oh, yes, you have. Wow. And he said, you must, and the clip, the clip has him saying, you must know, you must all know, half a dozen people, you as in you personally, half a dozen people at least who are no use in this world, who are more trouble than they are worth. Just put them there in front of a dust panel and say, sir or madam, now will you be kind enough to justify your existence? If you can't justify your existence, if you're not pulling your weight in the social boat, if you're not producing as much as you consume or perhaps a little more, then clearly we cannot use the organizations of our society for the purpose of keeping you alive because your life does not benefit us and it can't be of much use to yourself. And I tried to say it the way he says it on the video because this guy, if you've ever watched the Glenn Beck show, uh, who has ta- Glenn Beck who has talked about George Bernard Shaw at length. This was several years ago, though. Uh, I haven't heard anything him say anything lately. But he kind of open, cracked open that chapter that people have kind of ignored uh, in eugenics history of this man uh, making a case, and a very good case, for death panels, for euthanasia, for lethal chambers or gas chambers, and for population control. And he has made this case long before today's uh, death panels were ever dreamt up in socialized medicine. I mean, what we're experiencing now in Europe and what's impending here in the United States is not new. Right. And so um, I want people to understand, remember that name, George Bernard Shaw. And if you ever find yourself or your children learning about this man in school, be very, very careful. Know what he's about. Because the one thing is when you listen to this video clip of him talking, the guy looks like, you know, he's, he, he looks and sounds like everyone's favorite grandpa. He's so charismatic and so loving, you know, and, and how do you say, I want to kill you in the nicest possible way? He found it. He found it. And the trouble is people just soak that up, have no discernment whatsoever. They will make friends with their murderers if their murderers smile at them. That is just, I know I'm being cynical, but I've seen it more than once. And so, so yeah. So it brings us from eugenics, population control, to abortion, and I don't need to go into it um, as much as 
as I would in a regular presentation because we've been through abortion a lot. So I'm going to say it is up there. Pro-life, it's a pro-life issue. We talk about it a lot. But we don't talk a lot about gamete donation. And um, it's about time that we kind of revisited that. When my friend Jennifer Lyle was on the show, um, her biggest project was alerting people, especially women, to the medical, physical dangers of gamete donation. And for for guys, okay, it's as easy as, you know, being in a little room with a magazine and a cup. I understand that. For women, however, to donate your eggs is an extensive procedure that most often uses hormones that were never meant to be in a female body. Let me say that again. The procedure to to get hormone get eggs from a woman often uses hormones that were never meant for a woman's body. And you have to watch the documentary she before she she produced called Egg Exploitation to learn about several women who have had the worst things happen to them. They nearly died thinking they would do the right thing to help a couple have a baby by donating their eggs. The procedures nearly killed them, and nobody warned them. There was no safety uh, net for them. There were no precautions for medicines that they were being injected into their body, that was that were being injected into their body, and uh, they had no legal recourse. The IVF industry here on, on this gamete donation end of it is so far underground. You thought there were secret abortion clinics that were operating um, at the site and outside of regulation. This is two layers deeper than that. Ain't nobody looking at places that have doctors that are trying to tell women, hey, if you donate your eggs, we'll give you $10,000. And so here's a box of... Here's a box of medications. Here's a box of syringes. You follow the schedule and come in on, you know, 10 days or two weeks from now, and, you know, we'll take care of you. You can't get cold medicine that way anymore in St. Charles County here in St. Louis. <laughs> you can't even buy cold medicine over the counter. You can't get your ears pierced without documentation, but women are being told to inject dangerous hormones into their body for the purpose of procuring their eggs with absolutely no oversight whatsoever. And women have lost their lives. Women have become infertile from that. And not only that, what does that turn the woman into? She turns her into a, an egg factory. Because goodness knows nobody is looking out for them and their well-being. All anyone is concerned right. about are those eggs. I'm not going to go into all the medical risks. You can, you can certainly look that up, but it goes Everything in their reproductive tract is at risk. (laughs) 
and everything related to their reproductive tract is at risk once they start injecting themselves with hormones that don't even belong in the human body, in the female body. And that goes to, I mean, we're running right into the next one, in vitro fertilization. Oh, you know, in vitro fertilization has helped many, many couples have children who were, who otherwise could not have had children. I understand that. But like the movie Jurassic Park, we were so eager to make this technology work to produce something. Did we ever stop to think that what was being produced has rights and intrinsic value and may one day assert him or herself. We have had a whole generation of IVF-produced children um, that were treated at the time of, of their conception like products. They were shifted around. They were selected for... Yeah. yeah. Yes. Got a question. Yes. IBF. Tell the listeners what that IB, IBF stands for. It stands for in vitro fertilization. Okay. And that that means a woman's egg is put in a dish and it is surrounded by sperm of their choice um, to, and then injected with some of the with one sperm to produce a child who might or might not live in all this handling. Right. Um, and that's part of the problem. In in vitro fertilization, there are an excess number of individuals that are commonly produced and then commonly destroyed in the process. Did you know, the public does not know, that only about 30% of donated eggs, we're going back to gamete donation, donated eggs, 30% of those, used for IVF procedures, now we're back into IVF, are successful at generating individuals that are even suitable for implantation. In other wow. words, this procedure has a failure rate of 70%. And wow. it's so clinical to say, yeah, it's so clinical to say, oh, so, you know, 70% failure rate, well, yeah. What does that 70% entail? It means that among that 70%, not all of them, but among that 70% are individuals who were created but destroyed, created but died. For whatever reason, you know, the process didn't work for them. They were created and they were destroyed either either by circumstances or by actively pitching them in the garbage. I mean, for, I mean that's what we do to full-term babies who are aborted. That's what we do for Petri dishes full of unwanted babies that are produced via uh, in vitro fertilization. Let's go along down yeah. the line of this process. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, how much... <laughs> How many eggs do you have to break to bake a cake? Not all the eggs are suitable. And, you know, if you try, sometimes you don't know that they're not right until later on. But you've created a person that you've created to harm, and that's what happens. 
moving on down the line, let's say those out of the 30% that work, you have too many. How many times have we heard in the news media of a woman like Octomom who got, and she, you know, they implanted like dozens embryos into yeah. this poor woman, you know, for whatever reason to me, she totally needs counseling. And some of them yeah. do, do, do pass away. Not all of them produce a, a, a baby that is born. Some of them do die. Have we not set up some children just to die, just to play the odds? Of course we have. Not only that, would any legitimate doctor let Octomom today walk out the door? Uh-uh. <laughs> he would insist that Octomom become a more like a mother of quadruplets, maybe. And what does that mean? It means a selective reduction of the number of babies she's carrying. There's right. not a word for that. It's called abortion. And you'd be surprised at the number of parents and the number of Christian pro-life parents who have undergone this procedure that get to this point where their doctor is talking to them about selective reduction and they haven't thought about what that means until it hits them square in the face and they gasp and they say, no, I can't kill any of my babies. Well, you know, this process was killing babies all the way up to that point. <laughs> and you just right. didn't realize it until it got in your face. I like to think about uh, that show. Whenever I get to this point in my my presentation, I think about that show that used to be on cable TV. It was uh, the biggest rage. It was Kate, John and Kate plus eight. Yeah. And the reason yep. why I think about it, yeah, I, I have I the, like I have this quote I, somewhere written down that I, I ha, that I had from Kate who said, I mean, they went through this procedure, they first went, to the, went through this procedure and had twins, and they went through the procedure and had six other, no, was it five, six? I don't even know how many kids. <laughs> the next one. Yeah, six. That's six tuplets. And they were approached, and they had that exact stereotypical moment that I'm talking about. You know, when the doctor said, you're pregnant with six babies, we recommend that you take it down to three, maybe. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. God knows for us to have these children. And I'm like, really? Really? You think that? Now, I'm not saying that God didn't mean for them to have six children. When they had six children, God helped those children. But we're thinking in those parents' minds, I caused this to happen with no forethought whatsoever. I went recklessly into this technology, thinking that I would, you know, all they really wanted was one more baby, but they ended up with six more. you got to figure out that they weren't thinking about something. They weren't thinking this through. And how many more What? Letitia. Does yeah. it sound like they were thinking at all? No. It's very obvious they weren't, which is, I think, the problem that I try to tell Christian 
parents who prospectively are looking into this technology to help themselves have a child. You need to think right. about these ethical issues before you even write a check for, what is it, $10,000 to start. Right. Many more lives are sacrificed and destroyed for the potential to produce one child than the lives that do become born. What if right. I what if we laid it out for parents, prospective parents, and say and tell them um you're going to have we're gonna try to you're gonna try to have like three babies. You really only want one, but you may end up being having being the parents of three because of this procedure. But and so they're like, okay, all right, three babies. But what if we told them the truth that before we got to those three babies that they'll eventually have, that we would have to kill 20 more to get there? Why? And that's what's not being that's not what's being told to parents, and parents don't think about this. And that's why this is a pro-life issue. What about the 20 that perish? Because we decided we want to tinker with so much stuff in order to produce one child. This technology, by the way, is exactly the same thing as the other stuff I'm going to talk about, cloning and embryonic stem cell research. It is producing children, producing babies in their earliest stage in order to experiment on them and destroy them. And it doesn't matter, oh, we're going to implant them and they're going to become babies. Well, Missouri just passed a law in 2006 that says you're not allowed to do that. In fact, right. what you can do with them, the only thing you can do with babies that are cloned, is do research on them. You have to destroy them. Well, that's not right. much better. That's not much better. I would actually, I mean, if we're going to legalize something, legalize a child that is cloned because then they get to live. Never mind the ones that all right. die. <laughs> I mean, there is no good news at the end of this tunnel, and people don't think about this at all. Right. And we get to, you know, we get to birth control. Oh, you know, birth control is kind of the sacred cow of our society now. I mean, even above abortion. Because everybody thinks that that birth control uh, is a right. I don't know that I could call it a right. I'm not against birth control, as in some forms of contraception. I'm not against it, but I would I would really really encourage people to think about why you need why people need contraception in in you know, in society, available to 15-year-olds without a doctor's prescription. Um, and in, in all its forms, what are we sacrificing in order to have this birth control be, you know, useful to us? And what birth control, the mentality of birth control is, is the effort to remove reproduction from the sexual act of reproduction. Babies and dependent children are considered obstacles to a better life and personal successes 
They're not considered valuable additions to one's family. So, you know, typically sex is a one-way street. And you're traveling down this one-way street, and it's fun while it lasts, but you say you don't like where it goes. Well, this is a one-way street. You, You know, we all know the birds and the bees. We know where this ends. And to say you like to travel this street but don't like where it ends doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So, you know, America needs to wake up about contraception and birth control. And that, that's, aside, that's, that's aside from the technical aspects that, uh, of contraception, that lots of contraception, hormonal contraception in, in particular, often acts as a board of fashion. Acts as a right. board of fashion. And this is a this is a truth that the pro Planned Parenthood and NARAL and all those pro contraception groups uh, like to deny. They like to actively deny and say, "Oh no, we would." And the the thing is, though, what they deny is tells you more about what is what it is rather than what it isn't. They don't deny that contraception could end the life of a conceived child. They just changed the definition of pregnancy so that women, so instead of contraception, it is uh, pregnancy prevention. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. And I, I like to point that out, that they have made a distinction between a woman getting pregnant and a woman conceiving a child which in biblical terms, in realistic terms, they're one and the same. But if you're trying to push an agenda, you have to make that distinction because if you kill an individual using a hormonal birth control, uh, there's no way around it. There's no way around it. You have to redefine your terms in order to get around it. So we need to think about birth control. We need to accept the birds and the bees. And we need to stop telling women and girls and boys that you can have sex without the risk of getting pregnant as if you could separate them anyway. This is why sex is meant for people who are marriage, who are in a marriage in a monogamous relationship. Because then there's no question of paternity There's no question whether or not um, you have a support system for a child that's coming into the world because you have two people who are committed to each other. Form a team to be able to handle whatever comes your way, even if you didn't expect it, even if you're not prepared, you got nine months to prepare, and you have the absolute grace of God as your support system. That is more powerful than any argument that says, oh, a girl doesn't have a support system and she needs an abortion. You know, she has a support system. She may not have chosen to utilize it. She may have chosen to get pregnant with a boy that isn't mature enough to be a support system. That's not the child's fault. Don't make the child pay for that with his life. 
there are ways we can mitigate that, and it has nothing to do with abortion. And the last two things, I usually rush through these, but I'm going to actually um, rush through them the right way today. (laughs) Um, It's just to call out the fact that when people are used as, as property, they're treated as property, they're treated as means to an end, whatever that means is, usually monetary, but sometimes they're used as um, a means to someone else's reputation um, and social benefit. And, I'm, and that's why these two items are pro-life issues as well. It is honor killing and religious persecution. Honor killing, and you might think in your mind, uh, Islamic honor killing, that is the most prominent form of honor killing, gets in the news the most, is exactly that. There are other religions that do that as well, much less so than, than um, Islamic honor killing. But there, there, is a, there is honor killing happening in other religious systems. And it, but regardless of which religion you belong to that approves of honor killing, honor killing is done in the name of saving a family's reputation or particularly the male patriarch of the family's reputation, where somebody is sacrificed in order to impress somebody else. And that makes the person who is killed usually a woman, a piece of property. And I've had people say, no, no, they love their their daughters or their wives or their sisters or whoever, you know, the woman that gets killed, who is is the victim of honor killing. They love them. I'm sure they did. I'm sure they were loved. But they weren't loved enough for themselves. They were loved for what that wife, sister, daughter, cousin, whatever, could do for a certain man's reputation or a family's reputation. They weren't loved for them. They weren't loved as a person. They were loved for what they could do. And that is that is a dehumanizing thing. And that's what makes it a, um, a pro-life issue. Religious persecution is no different. When you think when you say that somebody else doesn't deserve to live because they interfere with your 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 own sense of worship of God, however you conceive God to be, you've dehumanized that person. In the Christian faith, we we actively say to tell everybody that every human being is created in the image of God, and therefore cannot be enslaved, should not be enslaved, should not be murdered, should not be killed for any reason other than for the rule of law. And some people are free to disagree about that, too. I think that's a great internal debate. But everybody has an intrinsic worth, and they cannot be murdered. Well, that sentiment is not echoed everywhere in the world. Not everybody believes that human beings are made in the image of God. 
and that and that is the basis for dehumanizing some over others. We see it in the eugenics and population control movement. We see it in religious persecution. We see it in an honor killing. And oh, I missed one. Let me go back really quick. Surrogacy. Now I'm really stepping on toes because, I mean, half of all military wives I, I have heard um, contract out to be surrogates for other people. And while I completely understand a party wanting to help an infertile couple have a child they would not otherwise have without a surrogate, you're again in surrogacy the entire process treats a woman as a womb for rent. She is having a baby, but it is not technically her baby. Uh, She is just carrying a child who is a product. She is kind of the host for the product. And you could reduce both individuals here, mother or surrogate mother and child down to a commodity. And one of the things that I say about this being a pro-life issue is that human beings are not commodities. We're not bodies that are meant to be toyed with, played with, used for profit. But that's what surrogacy does. It is exchange, mostly for money, um, and a contract to use a female body body as an incubator, as an incubator, and a birth mother for a child that does not belong to the surrogate. A lot of times the surrogate's interests, best interests, are not um, held for consideration at all. There was a story probably about three months ago that came out in the news of a surrogate mother. She thought she was doing a couple of great things by having her child. Well, the child ended up having a lot of genetic um, genetic problems. And so the, the, the birth parents, the actual parents, I should say, uh, wanted her to abort that child. And the fight began because uh, the surrogate mother did not want to abort the child. She said, you pay me to have a child. I'm having a child. <laughs> How's that? I mean, I just, I mean, the quandary, the quandary that we as human beings kind of put ourselves in. I mean, you couldn't, I could not, it's stranger than fiction. It really is. The truth is stranger than fiction. So the so the woman ends up giving birth to this child, and the question is, whose child is she? Because the birth mother is the one who saved her life. The actual parents don't want her, but then they wanted her because they wanted they didn't want because they wanted her aborted. They did not want the surrogate mother to keep the child. So what were they going to do with a child they wanted to have aborted? I mean, these questions don't have answers. And it's terrible because in the middle of this is a helpless little 
baby girl whose medical needs ought to be the focus of everybody's attention, not who she belongs to and how much money was was exchanged for her life. You see what this does to people? See what that does to this poor little girl who has no idea what's happening to her? Right. So I'll end it with this. This is why, for those sci-fi geeks, and I'm one of them, who like the the television Star Trek, television television show Star Trek: The Next Generation. There's a particular episode that just jumped out at me that was so so perfect for this presentation. It is, and I'll set this up for you people who don't watch that show. The episode where they they have a character who's an android. He's not a human being, but he functions like a human being. Uh, he walks and talks and, and works like a human being. You can have a conversation with him like a human being. And so one day, um, Starfleet decides that this android is not a person. He's property of Starfleet, even though... This android entered into service of Starfleet on his own. He's kind of an autonomous being um, who can make decisions on his own. So a trial ensued to discuss whether or not this android, this artificial being, can be ruled the property of the institution called Starfleet. And so as, as most trials go, there's a defendant and there's a, there's a prosecution, there's a defendant, uh, there's a pro and there's a con side. And this conversation happens um, for, in favor of, of the android. The captain of the ship was named to be the defender of the android, to defend his personhood. But it's very interesting what he says and this conversation he has with somebody else. So try hard to listen. I will try to turn it up, and then I'll summarize it for you. Do you mean his argument was that good? Parker's presentation was devastating. It almost convinced me. Well, you've got the harder argument. By his own admission, data is machine. <laughs> That's true. You're worried about what's going to happen to them. I've had to send people on far more dangerous missions. And this should work out fine. Maddox could get lucky and create a whole army of tickets, all very valuable. Oh, yes, no doubt. He's proved his value to you. In ways that I cannot even begin to calculate. And now he's about to be ruled the property of Starfleet. That should increase his value. In what way? Well, consider that in the history of many worlds, there have always been disposable creatures. They do the dirty work. They do the work that no one else wants to do because it's too difficult or too hazardous. And an army of data is all disposable. You don't have to think about their welfare. You don't think about how they feel. 
whole generations of disposable people. We're talking about slavery. I think that's a little harsh. I don't think that's a little harsh. I think that's the truth. That's the truth that we have obscured behind the we're talking about a machine, can be, is a person or property. And more ironically, this show featured, uh, that, was, that was the voice of Whoopi Goldberg, by the way, who was talking about whole generations of disposable people. And it hits home particularly to what we're talking about. We're not talking about androids and machines in this case. Like I said, I find it ironic that this episode, this TV show, was referring specifically to whether or not to consider a machine, an android, as a human, or not a human being, as a person. But we have actual persons that we even we can't even have that discussion over because we have so many people, so many voices that are actively shouting down any notion that we should treat the unborn in any form as persons or even actual born human beings in slavery, the victims of honor killing, religious persecution, and the like, sex trafficking, sex slavery, and actual slavery as human beings. When, when we can't have that discussion, we have practices that dehumanize people. All of the above dehumanize people across different ages, across different levels of development. Yet we have a TV show that is willing to take on this ethical question and apply it to a machine. We ought to be ashamed as a society that we don't stop to think what we're doing to ourselves as a species. But yet we would be so fascinated to apply these questions to artificial life forms made by human beings. The name of that episode of Star Trek The Next Generation was called The Measure of a Man. And it is ultimately a question of slavery. Having generations upon generations of disposable people And I want to end the presentation, the official presentation part, by saying that all these issues that we've raised here, euthanasia, surrogacy, 
slavery, honor killing, abortion, contraception, surrogacy, religious persecution. It all boils down to one thing, disposable people, and disposable people means slavery. This is why I say over and over again on this show and off the show that abortion is slavery. When you use, let me back up, abortion is slavery. When somebody lives or dies because of their usefulness to someone else on this earth, we have effectively made that person into a slave. Slavery does not mean labor. It doesn't mean the African slave trade. It doesn't have to look like that. It means whenever we reduce somebody to the sum of their usefulness to someone else, that person has become a slave. And so, taken from this episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, that is why I made my presentation the measure of a man. If you look on our Twitter our Twitter account, and if you haven't been following us on Twitter, it's at TFLR Radio. Is that what it is? I don't tweet a lot. <laughs> TFLR Radio. The picture that I have for uh, the show is the I am a man sign that was held up most often a lot of the civil rights protests. Why is that so effective? Because we start we need to start seeing our fellow human beings as men and women. Part of us in a species here on earth and not as products to be bought and sold and traded and destroyed and used for a means other than the good of that person, usually money. It all comes down to money somewhere along the way, most often. So that's why this show is built on an entire pro-life ethic. It's not built on abortion being the only thing we talk about, but pro-life is so much bigger than the abortion issue. I hope... And I pray people begin to realize just how vast and how broad pro-life ethic is. And so it's not good enough for politicians to say, I'm pro-life, simply to be against abortion when they sign, um, they vote yes on things that are related to cloning and embryonic stem cell research. That's not pro-life. That's not consistently pro-life. If you have questions, we have time for questions. Or comments, the lines are open. The number to call is 760-542-3907. If you'd like to talk to me or Thomas, we'd love to answer your questions. Let me go to Thomas right now and get your reaction and your question. Yeah. Wow. Great commentary. I tried to I tried to rest, but you was just so compelling. I had oh, to say it. Oh, oh, listen to that. Oh, look at this. 
<laughs> you brought it up, Brad. You brought it up, Brad. I did what? <laughs> you buttered that bread. Yep, I always I like my bread buttered. <laughs> Don't you like your bread buttered? Well, if I could have bread, I would love it buttered. Uh, buttered. Buttered? Did I say buttered? Buttered. Did you say brothered or buttered? I said buttered. <laughs> No, no, I'm on. I'm not on paleo, and I hate when people talk about their paleo diet because it is like coming out of people's ears. Paleo this, paleo that. I'm not on a paleo diet. I am on a reduced junk food and carb diet. Right. Yeah, so bread is not on the menu. But that was that was a phenomenal. Phenomenal um, show you did there. Um, phenomenal show. So um, I, I will. Oh sure. What What are you gonna say? Okay. I said I think we could. We could. Oh my God! Sorry about the yawn. Um, we could probably end the show on a good note. What do you think? Sure. Um, let me think. I wanted to, we didn't go, we have gone two weeks, I think, without um, the stupidest thing ever. And you know what? I think I'm going to start a con- I just thought of this. I'm going to start a contest. Somebody has to name this segment. If we have an extra 15 minutes left in the show, I would love to do the stupidest thing ever. And I know that is the the title is the stupidest thing ever. No, really, it's the stupidest thing ever. R R R. I want people to name that segment. You are much more clever than me. Let's name that segment. We're taking. I'll take. Um, I'll take the suggestions over Facebook on renaming the stupidest thing ever. So we'll put that. We'll get that up on the Facebook, and you guys can name it. Um. So, I didn't have one prepared today, but do you have a stupidest thing ever? Can you think of? Oh, I can come up uh, with one. Though. No. You come up with okay. one. Um. All right. This week. This week, um, a Canadian abortionist died. Uh, he was like ninety years old or something. Let me see what, you know, what was his name? It was Mor- Morgenthaler. He was, uh, he spent most of his life, his adult life, performing abortions, committing abortions in Canada, which is totally legal in Canada. And, um, you know, that's not the stupid part. The stupid part is there are tons and tons of of pro-life people anti-abortion people who, who rightly are are upset that he spent the majority of his life, his adult life and career, aborting babies. Um, when the story came out, all the comments were about how they wanted him to go to hell, and um, they, they said, you know, I hope he's aborted in hell, or he's rotting in hell. Uh, I hope that, you know, oh, I'm so sad that he didn't die a more violent death, something like that. Let me tell you something here on the Pro-Life Fridays radio. 
I don't say things like that because I wouldn't mean it. It is, you know, people die no matter what profession they're in when they're old. God has given him a long life, had given him a long life. Um, that he chose to use the life he, he was given to destroy other lives is a terrible, terrible sin. But he's not more condemned than I could ever be as a human being. I could not and would not ever commit an abortion, but that doesn't mean I'm better than him or less deserving of the judgment of God to hell. That's why we have Jesus Christ, who voluntarily gave his life up uh, to redeem sinners like me. And even though Morgan Thaler, Morgan, Morgan Thaler, uh, never believed in Jesus Christ, that doesn't mean that I'm better than him for believing. So I don't wish that he goes to hell. I don't hope that he goes to hell. I don't, you know, I don't wish any harm, human harm to come to him or wish anything ill against him personally. God will deal with him the way God will deal with all of us, with justice and 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 God's absolute holiness. I'm sad that he never took the opportunity to become a believer, that he rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ all his life. Um, I think it's tragic. You know, a life that is, that he, his, his life was soaked in the blood of the innocent, but he won't escape the judgment of God. I don't think, I don't go home and say, yay, he's dead. Oh. Uh, because, you know, that wouldn't be very pro-life of me. That wouldn't be how Jesus Christ would look at him. He's get, he got his reward in this life. He got paid to kill unborn children. He got that reward. What he reaped in the afterlife, what he's, he's reaped in the afterlife, only God can be the one to boast about what's going to happen to him. So, I mean, a lot of, a lot of people are portraying pro-life people as, as being mean-spirited and unforgiving. And I want to say it's not about that. It's not about that at all. Yes, people can be unforgiving, very mean-spirited. But on this show and in this program, as a host of Pro-Life Fridays Radio, you know, my God is bigger than that. I don't need to condemn him because he's already condemned. We all are. But for the grace of God, go I. And it is God's word that matters, not me. I don't need to say a word. Um, You know, I mean, there's very little anybody should say after somebody's died about their eternal destiny. I just don't think that we have that. I don't think we have the divine right to say, I hope he goes to hell. Um, I would I would think that we don't want anybody to go to hell. We wouldn't want anybody to go to hell. Because 
that would condemn our, myself. I, if I said that, I would condemn myself. But now I'm repeating myself. I've said what I need to say. So um, pro-lifers who are embarrassing the pro-life movement out there and the name of Christ, you are the stupidest thing ever to have done this. And I'm with Abby Johnson, who has rightly pointed this out. This is reprehensible behavior, reprehensible comments. We do not want to wish this on those who support abortion. We do not want to wish hell and death on people who support abortion because hell and death is what they do. That's what they wish on us as people who want to support life. Why would I want to be like them? I don't. So I really want I would really like to see pro lifers cut that out. Really cut that out and take a good hard look at their own language. That is the stupidest thing ever. You want to shoot ourselves in the foot PR-wise? How can I get away from you as fast as I can? I don't know. So with that, I'm going to play some music. What if, We are going to have a good show next week. I will be in Phoenix. Wish me luck. Wish me well. Pray for me as I deliver um, my presentation to an audience of thinking Christian people. And uh, we're going to have a great guest on. Hopefully we're going to have uh, Linda Raymond from Silent No More here in St. Louis. She will be sharing her story. And she and her husband, Chuck, have a tremendously good story. The reason why it's tremendously good is it is a tremendously good story. It is because it is so very typical. And these are just golden-hearted people. I love them to death. And you need to listen to their their post-abortive story because every woman, there are so many women that, that walk through her shoes today. She's out there saying, you know, let me tell you, there's another way. And so... Um, I have... All right. And I also, Leticia, I yeah. also have a... I have a guest, too. Yeah, I thought you did. Yeah, they're um the um the uh they're part of Reverend Brian and Denise Walker, part of the Black National Black Pro Life Coalition. They have a post abortive post abortive ministry as well. What time what time is the first get well, we'll talk about that later. Anyway. Um <laughs> right. great show. And I will talk to you again soon. All right. You have been listening to Pro-Life Fridays Radio on Blog Talk Radio. Come back next week for another wonderful broadcast. And uh, call in with your, come in with your calls and your comments. We'd love to take them then. So have a good night. And see you next week. <laughs> Hands up, open wide. Put your hands up side by side. Age don't matter, like race don't matter, like place don't matter, like what's inside. Let's kick drum, kick one time. Breathe out, let your mind unwind. Eyes on the ceiling, looking for the feeling. Wide open, let your own eyes shine. Yes, where the fight begins. Yeah, underneath the skin, beneath the 
matter like race, don't matter like place. 